I want to see what that dad bod can do out there. Not buying your banjos around the campfire. Shove them up your ass. It is football under the ref words. And if you're joining this podcast as a Titans fan and you're unhappy, I really don't know what to say to you because the Tennessee Titans are 12 and five. They have the first round by officially it is locked in stone and they're going to be off from the first round of the playoffs since 2008. Michael Gillum here. Zach Lyons is on with me as well. We may have a special guest dialing in. I'm just going to fucking ruin it right now. So if you're listening, Stick with us. It's almost like he's trying to get back into the podcast. I just, I just want to throw that (laughs) out there. That's that would be three weeks in a row, right? Maybe there was a break in between. Yeah. Three of the last four weeks. He think he's sneaking back in. He's getting the itch to talk about the Titans because they're winning. He wasn't with them after the jets. He's like, peace out y'all. They lost to the jets. I'm fucking retiring. He's like the kid that won't eat vegetables. (laughs) But he's sneaking back in the kitchen at night and eat broccoli out of the fridge. Like, buddy, if we're going to do this, let's just do it. <laughs> like, yeah. just get back in here. <laughs> now, are there Titans fans that are unhappy? Because I do have, I do know what to tell them if they're unhappy. Well, go ahead and tell them. Because if they are unhappy and they're listening, I don't know what to say. Get the fuck out of here. This is a <laughs> podcast for you. <laughs> Tennessee Titans are 12 and 5, uh, 28, well, to tw- 28 to 25 over the Texans, which I'm not going to lie. I was getting pretty upset in the middle of that game. We're going to come back. To you were in, in a, a full on meltdown. Though. <laughs> I, I was, I was pissed. I was, I was pissed. I think that was the most pissed I've seen you all year. And, <laughs> and the jets was pretty bad. The jets loss was pretty bad, but I think it, verbally in the group chat, it was the most angry and upset. I think I've seen you yet. It's because the jets, what the jets was just kind of demoralizing. This was like, there's no way that the universe has aligned like this and the Titans are going to not be able to pull it off because as this is happening, we're watching and I'm like flipping back and forth between, um, I mean, the Jaguars were dragging the Colts the whole game. And so I was like, this is going to line out perfectly. The Colts are going to lose. They're probably going to get knocked out of the playoffs, which they did later on because of Pittsburgh. And then I was just like, the Titans are not going to get this done, but they did get it done. Um, 28 to 25, but honestly, I think the best part that came out of this Zach and where I want to start Ryan Tannehill four passing touchdowns, 287 yards, all of a sudden the air game opened up and rushing took a back seat. Were you surprised by that? Was I surprised? No, maybe that's not the right. But, I mean, but I, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I understand what you. We haven't seen that Ryan Tannehill all year, right? Like, where has that Ryan Tannehill been? Yeah. But the full complement of weapons were there. And they didn't really allude to it in Vrabel's presser on Monday. But someone did ask, did you purposely throw in a bunch of plays to try to get, you know, Julio Jones going, which they should be doing, whether that was the whole point or not. That's what it kind of felt like, which I'm fine with, right? Like, I'm fine with Julio Jones getting those targets, but Ryan Tannehill was on one, and that's the second week in a row the offensive line for the Tennessee Titans did not allow a sack. Now, that does not mean that he wasn't pressured. Ben Jones had an uncharacteristically bad game, five pressures allocated to him. Saffold was next, and then, um, surprisingly enough, Nate Davis and David Questenberry were perfect over on the right side. It's like the whole, (laughs) all the good offensive linemen allowed all the pressures. The two lesser offensive linemen allowed zero. So it's kind of wild, the game plan by the Texans, this, this game. But when you have the full complement of weapons, when you have a run game, that's effective. When you run over 40% play action, which is his bread and butter. And when you have a pass block in line, I, it's almost like Ryan Tannehill is a good quarterback. <laughs> like, I, I mean, let's be honest here. This is the Ryan Tannehill everybody expected the whole year. The problem is, is that nobody else was what we expected the whole year. Yeah, yeah. And it's it was just 
the component to me that I loved and you and I, it's almost like the Titans listened to our podcast before this because well, they must, I I'm, I'm, I'm 100% sure that there is several people that listen to this podcast because we are always being proven right this season. This is like the best season for being proven right about a team. Yes. Just want to throw that out there. And Julio Jones is where I want to start with that because you and I talked about on the last podcast, is it fair to start? looking at Julio as a bust and we kind of came to a consensus of it, it's not really fair to go that far until we kind of see the playoffs, you know, and I guess you had to throw in the last regular season game, but um, I even said in chat before the game to me, the best he could do at this point is break. Even if he started to kind of have a good game, well, damn it. If he didn't step up in week 18 and suddenly it looked like the Julio Jones, AJ Brown tandem, of them just being big bastards out there catching the ball and, and, you know, being on the field when it matters, both of them had a touchdown. Yeah. They got 68 and 58, 68 and 58 yards respectively, which is not, you know, barn burning on its own, but the two of them combined looked kind of unstoppable at points. And I, I just, I love to see it. If that's a preview of what Julio can give us in the playoffs, seriously, God help anybody trying to go get, going against that offense. Well, that's why everybody was holding out hope this whole time. I yeah. mean, here, here, Paul, Paul got into my mentions because, you know, obviously my tweet was sparked by his tweet. Yeah. And his tweet says, remarkable how satisfied people are with Julio Jones, terrible broken down season, how hopeful they remain for a breakout still. My problem is with his tweet, is the last half of the tweet, how hopeful they remain for a breakout still. There's no reason that you shouldn't remain hopeful that Julio Jones had turned it around. I mean, right now, massive disappointment so far. Even with that great game, overall, the regular season for Julio Jones was a massive disappointment. But based on his history, based on Julio Jones, and based on his talent, he can obviously rebound, right? I mean, like, yeah. you're, you're having, you're, by saying that there is, by saying that's ridiculous or whatever the underlying tone is of how hopeful they remain for breakout still, like he's very surprised, you're, you would have to throw out his whole career. I mean, that, that's his, while his overall season, stats are bad his per target stats are about on par for the career so like you know yards per reception and stuff like that right when he's healthy and uh, the lack of production can obviously be contributed to health and the involvement of the offense which you know goes back to the offseason of chemistry lack of chemistry because he was unhealthy and then he just wasn't targeted in the passing offense. It's like Julio Jones was there, but he wasn't even the wide receiver to focal point. It was like, it went to AJ Brown. If he was playing over to possibly Jeff Swain or Michael Pruitt or someone like that. But his, the reason, you know, I don't think the trade is a bust. Does it have the potential to be a bust? Sure. It does. It obviously hinges on the playoffs, and Julio Jones is going to be around next year. I'm all for, unless he makes game-changing performances and makes amazing plays all through the, the postseason, I'm not ready to call it a bust or a pro until after the second year of his contract here at the Tennessee Titans. But his per-game expectation is wide receiver three floor with a wide receiver one ceiling. And that can vary game by game. And I think that's the expectations you should have. I think those are moderate expectations. And I think that, you know, condemning people or for lack of a better term, that they have hope that this hall of fame wide receiver can still do something is kind of crazy to me. I think that's just a, a sour way of looking at it, especially in the approach to a one seed. And look, Julio Jones played great. He, he's I had every time he caught the ball, I was praying that he would actually get up and be able to run another play. Yeah, he, is, he has done that to me. It's uh, every hit and every time he falls down, 
that's where I'm going to be at for a little bit. I'm a little gun shy on it. But if you get that Julio, then and then you get Derrick Henry back, this is what the team, this is what the Julio trade was for, the postseason. Now, listen, obviously he was supposed to contribute all through the regular season. You don't trade for a guy and just say, well, I don't care what he does in a regular season. It's only postseason. Right. But obviously the strategy throughout the regular season when he couldn't get healthy was to try and get him healthy for the postseason. And I think at the Colts game, you saw that shift, the first Colts game when they basically benched him or held him back and thought and said, we can win with NWI, Chester Rogers, and um, Tommy Hudson out there. Like, we can win with those guys. I I think that at that point, they said, this hamstring is going to be a lingering issue through the season. Get them when we can, and don't push it, and put it at the postseason. And if that's a preview of the postseason, the Tennessee Titans are going to be in a great place, especially when Derrick Henry's back. And Michael Herndon joined us. And my and Michael Herndon joins us. Uh, Michael, have you joined us by phone? Are you just not just not talking? That's cool. Uh, That's really weird. I see the phone icon, but I don't hear him. So I guess we'll just have so, to go on without him until he just blurts all right, all right. in. Oh, there he is. Can, there he is. Can, you, can you hear me now? Yes. yes. All right, yeah, I, I really enjoyed uh, calling in to the show last week. It, it was a very uh, good experience for me. So uh, that's going to be pr- my preferred way of joining the show. Good. Well, I'm going to put you right on the spot. We're talking about Julio Jones's performance last week. Zach and I had uh, tossed around the idea of what is it too early to kind of call his addition to the team a bust. Um, obviously, safe to say, damn good performance. This is kind of what you want out of him leading into the playoffs. What did Julio tell you um, about his performance on the field? Uh, you know, I think it's it's fair to say that to this point, the Julio trade has been a huge bust, right? Like, a, that, I don't think that's debatable. That, that is, it's been disappointing. He's been barely able to be out there. Now, you can say they don't win the Seahawks game without him. They don't get the one seed without him. I, and I think that's true. Um, and, you know, you could say, given the timing that they made the trade, like free agency was already over. Uh, the draft was already over. It was it – was, you know, Julio or bust at that point. Like, there really weren't a whole lot of difference-making wide receivers available at that point. And, and I guess the question could be whether John Robinson should have put himself in a situation where that was the only option left for him. Um, that's, a, that's a valid question. But, you know, I think the trade has been a success in the fact that I don't think they get the one seed if they don't make the trade. But I also think the trade has been a bust relative to what your expectations rightfully should have been for a guy that you traded a, a second and what, what was it, a second and a fourth? Is that what the deal was um, yeah. effectively? Yeah. So, yeah, I, yes. I think that's, that's it's been a bust to this point. But I think you're right, Zach, that it's not over yet. Um, and if he goes and rips off, you know, a three-game run here in the postseason – that leads to them winning the Super Bowl, and he's a big part of that. Then I'll completely change my mind and say, yeah, that that the trade was absolutely not a bust. So it's it's not fair to say it's over and it's all etched in stone at this point. And that I think is kind of the reason why I had some beef last week with people out there saying, you know, well, it, Julio's a bust. You know, you can't rely on him for anything. Well. Can't rely on him is one thing, but can't have hopes that he could perform is totally different. And, and I think it, to this this past weekend, the game against the Texans provided just that. That is what you hope that this offense, this passing offense at least, looks like when you've got all the pieces and parts playing and you saw Tannehill and Julio start to get a little bit of rhythm going. And look, frankly – Julio could have had a much bigger day because Tannehill just missed him on a couple of deep shots, one that probably would have been like a 70-yard touchdown. Um, and, and Julio was open behind the defense, and Tannehill just missed him on a game where Tannehill was mostly dialed in. Um, so, y- yeah, you'd love to see them hit one of those. But, hey, all it's going to take are one or two of those to hit in the postseason for this to flip and be a success. Um, so, 
I, yeah, I think the jury's very much still out on the Julio trade, but it, it is arrow pointing up for sure. I mean, he got through that game without making the injury worse. He should be bar- barring some, you know, terrible news coming out of practice in the next two weeks. He should be full go to start the playoffs, and, and that's that's a huge deal for the Titans. That, it's absolutely enormous because um, it gives you that threat opposite A.J. Brown that, you know, if the, if teams do bracket him like the Ravens, you know, did after that opening drive last year in the playoffs, that you've got another outlet that's not Khalif Raymond uh, or, and that's not Corey Davis, who was, you know, more inconsistent than, than Julio even, um, I think, when, when healthy, right? Um, so I think – it's a huge deal for the Titans to have him healthy headed into the postseason, and we'll see where it goes from there. Mike, I'll start with this, and I'm going to be this asshole who does this on Happy Victory Monday. Oh, you uh, asshole. D- I'm already I'm going to do it. Question. I'm sorry. I'm going to do it. The Texans score 18 unanswered in the second half, and the defense was getting ripped apart by Rex Burkhead, Danny Amendola, and Nico Collins. This was the source of my unfiltered, furiously cursing in the chat. Does that bother you, or was it just one of those, it's the end of the season, get the damn win and get out? I'm going to start with you, Mike, and I'll let Zach go. It, it bothers me a little bit, but not a lot. I mean, ultimately, I feel like, and, and frankly, Vrabel acknowledged it in his postgame speech, which is kind of interesting. They came out and they slept walked in the, in the third quarter. It's all there is <laughs> to it. They thought they're up 21 points. They were like, all right, the bye, we've got it on lock. All we got to do is come out and, like, score one more touchdown. The Texans are going to fold. They've already got their golf clubs out, ready to, you know, go go to their uh, vacation destination of choice next week. It, it's over. I think that's what they thought. And, hey, shame on them for, for being that lax in, in the second half uh, coming out. But, I mean, ultimately they did respond when they needed to and got the job done. So, you know, does it worry me a little bit? Yes, but we're also coming off of a stretch where this defense has been pretty dominant and won them football games against good t- football teams. I mean, the Dolphins came out and pasted uh, the the Patriots in a game that the Patriots really wanted to win um, in, in Week 18. So I think, yes, it sucks that that happened, but no, I don't think that was the real Titans defense re- rearing its ugly head you know, in the last half of an 18 or a 17 game season. I, I just don't buy that. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I, listen, you know, when the, it was obviously sleepwalking, it was obviously a tad bit distressing. Uh, Danny Amendola was just blazing by some, by these guys. And, and obviously, you know, he is a veteran but he's nothing like he's not a, you know, four two you know, 40 kind of guy, but it's not that big of a deal. And, and here's what I'm going to say about these two things. I think, I think there's two good points about that, that part of the performance in the game. One, it almost seals the deal that they're going to be tempted to bring back Davis Mills and David Coley as both the quarterback (laughs) and the head coach, because obviously, I mean, and quite truthfully, while Davis Mills looked pitiful in that first half, over the season, he has been the second most impressive of the quarterbacks on a consistent basis. I mean, I, I know that's crazy to say, but it's it's Mac Jones as Davis Mills, and Mac Jones wasn't really all that impressive unless there's a blizzard outside or whatever. And then, you know, Davis, David Coley kept the team motivated, kept the, kept the team competitive, you know, they may be tempted to keep him as of this recording. He hasn't been fired yet. And you know, that's a good thing for the Tennessee Titans. And here's the other thing. Now that they had to hold on to a lead and fight to hold on to a lead. And now that basically they got the sleepwalking out of their system and they got a little embarrassed. That's good. Like now they're motivated yeah. through the bye week, right? I mean, they're yeah. the the concern would be they blasted the Texans and then they sleepwalk through the bye, which I don't think Vrabel would really allow. But you also wouldn't think that Vrabel would have allowed that in the in the third quarter. However, it's the best case scenario heading in to the bye week, in my opinion, and, and getting ready for the playoffs to stay motivated like that. 
So I'm not, I'm not, I'm upset, but I'm not too upset. I think that's a great point. And what's been the one like recurring downfall for this team, you know, over the last couple years under, under Vrabel and with this specific football team, it's when they get too high on their own supply, they, they just kind of, you know, will drop a stupid game every now and then. And I think, them not having going into the playoffs with everybody giving them their flowers and uh, you know, all of that saying, Oh, look the Titans have come alive and now they're the team to beat in the AFC. I, I think that is a good thing. I think the motivation of all the worst AFC or what worst one seed since or worst one seed ever takes that are floating around out there. I think they can use that as motivation. And, and some people think that stuff is nonsense, but I really think, you know, a team can rally around stuff like that. We saw it in 2019 when, you know, they got the hyenas thing going and that was kind of their identity uh, in the playoffs. I think there's, there's some definite motivation and definite, uh, you know, kind of amplification of Brable's message that can happen because they did get that scare in the third quarter and, and had to go through that. I, I think that's a, a good point And, uh, you know, I think it'll only it can only help them. It can't hurt them. Like I, I'm, I'm just gonna set up your own tweet that you put out earlier today on a tee, so I can let you, you know, speak about yourself in the third person, and you know, especially the guy who just keeps getting his tweets posted to our NFL. And uh, Mike, are, how do you feel at this point in your life that you could pretty much just tweet the word fart and it would get retweeted like thirty times? <laughs> it, it is kind of crazy. Um, I, I don't. I sometimes I'm surprised by what takes off and, and I'm Poopy like, pants, oh, that really likes. wasn't my best. That wasn't my best, best effort there, but thanks guys. Um, but, uh, so I, I think the tweet that you're referencing was from this morning. And I think it's, it's the feather in the cap of the Vrabel coach of the year, uh, case. And I, it's the Titans were the first team in NFL history to have eight wins against teams that finish the regular season with winning records. And, and that's a pretty major accomplishment because it, you know, a lot of people like to say, well, the Titans are in the AFC South and the AFC South sucks. So they had an easy schedule. It's simply not the case. It just isn't like, yes, the Texans and, and Jaguars are trash cans to some degree or another, but the Titans played a really tough schedule outside of those four games. Right. Uh, and, and they, almost exclusively played teams with winning records outside of those four games. Because if you look at it, you know, that that's 13 other games. So the Titans were eight and three in games against teams with winning records. That's 11 of the 14 other games or 13 other games on the schedule came against teams with winning records. So the Titans played a very difficult schedule. They played really well against that difficult schedule. They've got a lot of playoff and, and really strong teams uh, that are notched in their bedpost, so to speak, over the course of this season. And it's, uh, I, I think when you combine that with all the injury stuff, uh, think about it this way. And I think this may be the single best case for Brable as, as coach of the year. Think if the Chiefs, for example, had lost Tyreek Hill for half the season uh, and had been without Kelsey for about five or six games. Uh, during that stretch as well, and, and probably had maybe you know been without Michael Pruitt or not Michael Pruitt, uh, Michael Hardman uh, for uh, you know about seven or eight games too. What do you think the Chiefs' record would look like this season? I, I don't think it would have been twelve and five, which is obviously what they ended up with uh, with all those guys mostly being healthy for for the vast majority of the year. You know, that's basically what the Titans went through. They had no Derrick Henry for half the year. They had no. Julio Jones for half the year. They had no A.J. Brown for, you know, at least a quarter of the year. And yet they managed to keep plugging along, keep beating good teams, and ended up 12-5 and five in the one seed. And now all those guys are coming back. So I, I think the fact that Rabel was able to pull all this together, manage to win football games in different ways, whether it be with the defense, whether it be with Deontay Foreman, whether it be with Ryan Tannehill – you know, making enough out of Nick Westbrook, Akina, and Chester Rogers, and Marcus Johnson, and all these guys that have kind of come through here and had to contribute for them over the year. It, it comes down to that. He's done more against a harder level of competition with less 
than any other coach in the NFL. And I don't think it's particularly close. I, I just don't. I think he is the coach of the year. And there's, there's really not a close runner up to me. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't understand. I don't understand the Lafleur love. It's like they want to give it to him because they missed out on giving it to him for the last two years. Let me say this about Lafleur: that that is the easiest job to have, other than that you have to be, you know, uh, nice to Aaron Rodgers. That's probably the hardest part of his job is being nice to Aaron Rodgers. But he's got Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon. You know, they got a great defense, uh, great pass rushers. And they stayed relatively healthy for most of the year, other than, you know, a few injuries here and there. No, no one besides the Saints went through anything that the Titans remotely close close went to. I mean, like, the Saints are the only ones. They had uh, the most starters start. Now, see, the Titans fans are a little confused. The Tennessee Titans had the most players play, not start. So the Saints actually had the most that started. And the Saints were almost in, you know, the the playoffs without the, their starting quarterback and with that Taysom Hill loser, you know, playing a bunch of snaps. And they didn't have Michael Thomas. They didn't have their bookend t- uh, tackles. They, they suffered a lot. But they still didn't make the playoffs. They didn't make double-digit wins. And they didn't have a great record against winning teams. And Mike Frable did all that. You know, in my opinion, Matt LaFleur should be third or fourth, but maybe even behind Nick Sirianni. And it's really Mike Vrabel, the first and a distant second, Sean Payton, in my opinion. Nobody did, did, nobody could really do what he did by keeping this locker room together, by winning these games, by using different defensive game plans, offensive game plans, strategies to win all these games against great opponents and on top of all that you know he basically promoted or kept two coordinators that everybody hated and that turned out to be the right decision i mean let's be honest here the 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 that choice in the staff was the right decision the defense turned around i mean they're pretty much top three nfl defense after being a bottom two nfl defense or even the worse and that is a historic turnaround, and the offense was able to win games when when necessary, not all the time, but considering the injuries on the offense side of the ball, you have to give Todd Downing a little bit of credit for being able to keep that floating. And they they are still top 10, in the, and I think it was red zone and something else. I can't remember what it was. And Tannehill still top 10 in EPA at the end of the regular season. Um, that is basically to me, coach of the year. No doubt. I think more people are on board with it this week, but I think everybody's coming around. It's Mike Vrabel. So I'm glad you brought up Ryan Tannehill there at the end, because that's kind of where I want to go next with this. Mike, you also tweeted out this morning, Ryan Tannehill finished top 10 in PFF grade and QBR for a third straight year. Are we allowed to just refer to him as a top 10 QB now? I also kind of want to add this in there, which was a tweet by uh, Mike Renner from PFF. After an offseason of everyone talking themselves into quarterbacks, Matt Stafford, Jared Goff, Sam Darnold, Carson Wentz, Teddy Bridgewater, and even Jameis Winston were all relatively the same players that we saw in the past. It, it highlights how rare what Ryan Tannehill did. And I really like that tweet to kind of add to the whole Tannehill thing. And I throw that out there to say this. I, I, it's time for this fan base to realize that Tannehill is not just moderately better than Mariota or some of these other options that are out there. It, the Titans found a diamond in the rough and were able to resuscitate a career now with evidence that you see is not exactly easy to do. Yeah, it's it's amazing, really, that we keep having this conversation, right? Because it, it's I feel like, you know, the, the top the top 10 list, uh, position list or whatever came out with ESPN this past offseason. And I want to say Tannehill was like four, 14th or something like that uh, on the list. And he was below, you know, Stafford and Kyler Murray and, you know, all, you know a bunch of these other guys and stuff like that. And, you know, that's fine. And, and people, you know, but, uh, you know, I made the point then that I was like, well, you know, if you're, if we're basing it off the past two years, which is really the most, 
relevant data points that we have, you know, he is a top 10 quarterback. And, you know, that's, that's all there really is to it. And now I think you add this season where the excuse that everyone wanted to throw out every time with Tannehill was, oh, but he's got Derrick Henry. Oh, but he's got Derrick Henry. Well, that was taken away for half the year. And guess what? The Titans went six and three. They still beat some really good teams. Was it always the prettiest on offense? No, but they still got the job done when it counted. And Tannehill was doing a lot of that without A.J. Brown and without Julio Jones. I mean, the fact that this team stayed afloat at all without all three of those guys for for several weeks this year is a testament to Tannehill. It's a testament to Brable, obviously. We We just hit on how big of an impact he's had. But Tannehill's a really good quarterback. And at some point, if you just keep stacking together top 10 seasons in these these metrics that I think are relevant, um, certainly more relevant than like stupid uh, counting stats, like total passing yards, like get out of here with this nonsense in 2022. Like I, I'm just done with anyone who just wants to count total passing yards. It's ridiculous. But anyways, I, it, these metrics that, that do matter and I do think are, are pretty relevant, especially EPA, especially QBR. Uh, you know, they keep saying Tannehill's a top 10 quarterback. So at what point do we just say, okay, this guy is just a top 10 quarterback in the league and stop making excuses for all the other guys that, that for some reason the media wants to believe are better than him. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when you just look at it, I, I, I'm with you, Mike. It's He's a top 10 quarterback. I, you sh- why aren't you happy that your team has a top 10 quarterback? Like, I, I don't understand it. Why aren't you happy with that? Mike, I'm, I'm going to give you people, last piece. People want Herbert. People want Herbert or Mahomes, and I get that. But, like, it, at the end of the day, Herbert's team is sitting at home, right? Yeah. And Tannehill's team is in the playoffs again. So, he's exciting to watch. I get that. He does some stuff that no other quarterbacks can do. I get that. But there is also something to just the – consistency that that Tannehill has shown over the last few years and yes I know there were some bad turnover games this year and and I'll be the first to admit that those cannot happen and those were very bad but again he continues to win games he is 30 and 13 as a starting quarterback for the Tennessee Titans Titans 30 and 13 that is fantastic that's up there with anybody uh, and the turnaround happened immediately, again, when, when Tannehill took over, when this team changed. So I think there's a lot there. And people just need to stop pining for, you know, all, all the flashy next big name guys. Like, you can win with Ryan Tannehill. You really can. I, I don't think this team is going to be limited by Tannehill uh, in any way, shape, or form. Like, sure, would I love to have Aaron Rodgers or, uh, or Patrick Mahomes or, or whoever? It's sure, yeah, that, that would be great. But, you know, there's like three teams that have those types of quarterbacks in the league. And uh, you don't necessarily have to have one to win the Super Bowl. So I'm, uh, you know, I think it's way past time that Ryan Tannehill get his due, especially from this fan base who as recently as like three weeks ago was trying to bench him for Logan Woodside. Um, like seriously, take, take a deep inventory of where your head's at, if that is what you were thinking a few weeks ago, because Tannehill had a, a mediocre or bad game against the Steelers. Like, get out of here with that nonsense. Let's let's leave that in 2021 and not revisit it again <laughs> moving forward. Mike, before you leave, can you give me 30 good seconds about the Colts? <laughs> <laughs> can I just sure laugh you for 30 hour. seconds? Because... I I was legitimately beside myself laughing and giggling at every highlight when they would show Wentz doing something more fucking idiotic than the last play. Every time they'd cut to that game, it was like, oh, Wentz is trying to throw it into quadruple coverage again. Oh, Wentz is getting sacked and fumbled. It's unbelievable. It's so funny. And the Colts fans turning on him after defending him for the full year has is, is been hilarious. I love that they've got seven Pro Bowlers who are going to have a lot of time to get ready for the Pro Bowl, um, and they can they can just really show out in that Pro Bowl how great a GM uh, Chris Ballard is, who's who's now one game above 500 after five years. So way to go, Ballard! Uh, you're you're God's gift to GMing. Um, get the fuck out of here, losers. He's 
He's Michael Erdman. You can find him on Twitter, get more retweets, and I have followers. And yes, I'm upset about it. Michael, thank you for, for coming on. <laughs> Love you, boys. Enjoy the show. <laughs> Love you too, boo. We're Listen, I don't want to disappoint people. I don't want to get off on the Colts just yet because I've got a couple more thoughts on this Titans game. But if you're sitting here wondering if we're going to get on the Colts, yes, we are. Because Michael hit on something that I – I, when we stopped watching the Titans game, I spent the rest of the day piling through Reddit and articles and tweets, just destroying the Colts. So yes, we're, we're certainly going to get to that, but Zach, to wrap it up with the Titans, you couldn't ask for a better way to end the regular season. You've got a quarterback who's legit top 10. You've got an offense that gave you hints that they're going to be firing on all cylinders the defense had a hiccup, but they pretty much admitted they were sleepwalking. And your coach is a legitimate coach of the year. I cannot think of a better scenario for the Titans to go into the playoffs. And I specifically wanted to compare it to last year and 2019. And I won't bury the lead anymore. Last year, most Titans fans knew, or if you weren't paying attention, you kind of had a feeling in your gut that this wasn't going to go very far. That team last year was... It came in out of steam, a defense that couldn't get anything off the field. 2019 was a magical run, but you felt like you had outlived your life expectancy by the time you got to the AFC championship game. So I, I feel more confident in this team this year and based on that finale than I have felt about almost any Titans team. Yeah, my confidence level is at an all-time high, and, and <clears throat> they're, they're meeting the expectations I had set before – the season, which was Super Bowl or bust. I mean, that's what John Robinson basically said. It's what the whole team's message has been, is that they're here for the Super Bowl. And there is no reason not to feel confident this team, with Derrick Henry back, as long as they stay healthy, isn't one of the better teams in the NFL. I, I, think, that, I think right now, if you really looked at all the rosters, and their current form or projected to be what they are projected to be in the playoffs. This is the second best team in the NFL. I think you can make a case that they may be better than the green Bay Packers. Uh, but you know, that that's your prerogative. In my opinion, the green Bay Packers are better. You know, what's going to happen with the green Bay Packers they are probably not going to make it in the playoffs because whenever they're really riding high, they never make it into the super bowl. And I, I think that right now there, there are very few teams as hot as the Tennessee Titans, as well-built and as well-coached top to bottom as the Tennessee Titans. And so my confidence level is at an all-time high. I'm riding high. I'm here for it. I, I will be sorely disappointed if they lose, even if they lose by one point and it's the ref's fault. I'm going to be disappointed if they, don't, if they don't at least make it to the Super Bowl. I'm disappointed. I mean, considering that, you know, looking at it and forgive me, I don't have the matchups in front of me to walk through how this can lay out, but essentially your potential opponents coming out of the first week of the wild card round, uh, Steelers, Patriots, Bengals, or Raiders is, you know, based on who, who wins in the seating, that's who you would end up facing. Zach, is there, is there a particular opponent that you would like to face or, I, honestly, I, I like what Good Morning Football said this morning, which was you fully expect this team is going to be in the AFC championship game, that none of those opponents that I listed sound like a big roadblock for the Titans in the divisional round. I, I think if you were looking at a dream scenario, you're you're wanting the Patriots in the division or the Steelers in divisional dream scenario yeah. is the Steelers because Ben Roethlisberger is one of the That's, worst quarterbacks I've ever seen right now. That is terrible. He, it is. It was so painful to watch that overtime game uh, right before they, you know, switched to the Colts Jaguars game or whatever, but it was un, unbearable. I, I personally hope that it's either the Steelers or the Patriots. I think the re most realistic option is the Patriots. You'd love the Raiders to upset the Bengals because really the team that scares me the most is the Cincinnati Bengals. And I know everybody yeah. will say, oh, this defense will just eat Joe Burrow alive and blah, blah, blah. Because I've heard that story before about this yeah. Bengals team. Okay. And that was with a team made up of fifth and sixth uh, stringers and this Tennessee Titans could gain pressure. Now, obviously, this defense is 10 times better. 
But this offense is also, the Bengals' offense is also better. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd with Joe Mixon in the backfield scares the absolute dog shit out of me. It gives me nightmares thinking that there could be Chris Jackson out there getting who just got burned by Danny Amendola being put in the blender and just being sent off into space because those guys are terrifying. Now, obviously, if the Tennessee Titans play the Cincinnati Bengals, I expect Tennessee Titans win 35-10. But they're the team that scares me the most, while the teams that scare me the least are the all the underdogs, the Raiders, the Patriots, and the Steelers. So you got to really hope for an upset because it, one of those teams is coming to you, preferably the ghost of Ben Roethlisberger or the uh, New England Patriots because you've seen those teams, and but they've only seen you at half strength. They haven't seen you at full strength. And then the Raiders would have to, not only did they already go to Cincinnati, fly to Cincinnati from Vegas, then they would fly back, and then they would have to fly back to Nashville that is a huge, huge advantage for them. Yeah. Or for us, absolutely. for the Titans. You ready to talk about the Colts? <laughs> I am born ready, baby. I, I, I got to say, yesterday, I'm sorry, we're recording this on a Monday. Sunday, January the 9th might go down as one of my favorite days in NFL history ever. And I'm not even exaggerating. It, it was one of the when, best football Sundays, not just because the absolutely. Titans win. And well, let me say that. The Titans win is great, but it's one of the best football Sundays. In a that Raiders, this is definitely this year. That Raiders Chargers, it, it, that felt like the Super Bowl only because of how many people on Twitter. It felt like every single person on my Twitter feed was watching that game and going nuts. But the Colts, the Colts just provided the unexpected delicious shrimp cocktail to this fucking Sunday that I could ever remember. All they had to do, all they had to do was show up and beat a Jacksonville Jaguar team that is admittedly playing some of their worst football ever. Um, now, to, to kind of set this up, Jacksonville fans had decided coming into this game that they were going to dress up as clowns to protest the owner of the team, Shotgun, to convince him to fire um, Trent Balky. Am I saying yeah. saying that correct? Okay, um, because they didn't want to retain him as a GM. They say, "Why? How? How can Urban get fired? And you don't get rid of him. Why not start clean?" Um, so hundreds of people, it, it, several people at the game said that it had to be multiple hundred people showed up in rainbow wigs and squeaky noses to the game. The broadcast, the stadium crew, everybody did everything they could to try to keep these people off the jumbotron and off the camera, but it, there were still a lot of images leaking out. The Colts show up and play arguably one of the most unbelievable, implosive, horrific football games that they could possibly play, led by Carson Wentz. Carson was total crap. Threw a couple of interceptions. Uh, on consecutive plays, if I'm not mistaken, intercepted, Jags got the ball and scored. He got the ball back and, and got intercepted immediately again. Fumbled, was taking a bunch of sacks. Like Mike said, he was thrown into quadruple coverage. The guy was absolutely terrible. The Jacksonville Jaguars didn't just beat the Colts. They beat the fucking brakes off of them. And then to make matters worse, after the Colts lost, they only had like a 10% chance to make the playoffs. They could not afford a loss by like the Steelers and the Raiders. It didn't matter. The Steelers won something like 20 minutes after the Colts lost to the Jaguars, put them out. And I'll put this stat out there. Eight days ago, according to the New York Times playoff simulator, which if you've been listening, you know, I've been following that like the Bible. They did 93% chance to make the playoffs. They went from 93% to not making the playoffs in eight days. It's, I mean, it's, I want someone to find stats on a bigger collapse at the very end of the season. I would wager to say you won't find one. That is one of the most epic collapses by any team. And it happened to the Colts who have been the most mouthiest, shittiest fan base for the last several weeks about we're the best team in the NFL. We've got the MVP. He's better than Derrick Henry. Carson Wentz is badass, and you all are not giving him a credit. You name it. And now they are crickets and nowhere to be found. Yeah, I mean, the the whole NFL, the ESPN media and all those NFL network, all the talking heads, a yeah. couple of the people at Broadway and all this stuff, <laughs> cemented 
The Indianapolis Colts is one of the best teams in the NFL, and they're 100% sure that that team's going to make it into the playoffs. And so two weeks ago, I got into a little simulator and, and everything, the playoff simulator, and I said, man, it's not too crazy to believe that a couple of these games in week 17 can go against the Colts' favor if they lose and the Ravens win. And they could possibly be in a real dire situation come week 18 where they have to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, of course, everything happened on week 17 that you would want as a Titans fan if you enjoy the misery of the Indianapolis Colts like I do. And all they had to do was beat the Jacksonville Jaguars, right, to get in. And if they lost, they needed three other victories. Uh, None of those victories turned out in their favor anyway, but – they had a 98% chance two weeks ago. And here on this podcast, we talked about last week how the Jacksonville Jaguars have owned the Indianapolis Colts in 2014 at home. And that a divisional game, it means a lot to these players and that this team is going to want to spoil the Colts' playoff chances and beat that team. And they not only beat them, they embarrassed them. They won the defensive line, offensive line battles on both sides. They basically just pushed around the vaunted Colts offensive line and made, <laughs> they stuffed, I don't know how many times they stuffed Jonathan Taylor, but they stuffed him so many times, this Mr. MVP. And what's the best part about it is I wish I would have seen these. I don't follow Jim Ursay on Twitter, so I guess I'm going to have to change that. But he you was putting out... Comical. He was putting out like video after video after video talking about his team and how they're going to win. He was at the airport. The the jet was his private plane was going. I was afraid his little Pomeranian was going to get sucked into the turbine at some point. He's just talking all this shit and just, you know, oh, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And they fucking lost. And he has to have these sit down conversations with coach of the year candidate, Frank Reich. And he's a genius. And then. Uh, he had to also have a sit down with Chris Ballard, who, like Mike said, is one game over 500 because of the team that he's brought in. And people are like that Chris Ballard is some great drafter. He has like seven players that he's drafted that are contributors. They He traded for Carson Wentz. Traded for this loser-ass quarterback because Frank Reich probably got it into his ear. So this also goes back to Frank Reich that, oh, I'm so good with Carson. I am a, I am the offensive genius of them all. I can do it. I can turn Carson Wentz around. Well, guess what? When the light shines the brightest, he fucking disappeared. And that's what Carson Wentz does. He is a disaster of a quarterback. And he is a loser. And the Indianapolis Colts, I hope, stick with him at least another year. But they're not even committing to him right now. Today. They said that they are not committed to Carson Wentz necessarily in 2022. It's basically what they said. They they did not say, oh, of course, Carson Wentz is our quarterback next year in 2022. What are you talking about? They said, oh, well, we'll evaluate and stuff. It's, it's, I, I just, I can't get enough of that. I, it's the Carson Wentz piece alone makes it enjoyable, but it's just this, it's this cannonball, cannonball size hole that the Colts have left in their chest because of multiple things and Carson Wentz is all centered around it. I fully expected digging around on Reddit and inside, you know, Colts fan base sites and all that, that there were going to be a lot of uh, Carson defenders. A lot of the fan base really does not like that guy today. They, they really turned on <laughs> the majority. I'm not kidding. I saw multiple comments that said, don't worry, he's going to go disappear and go hunting all off season. So you'll never hear from him until he shows up spewing Bible verse quotes right before the beginning of minicamp. I mean, they were just brutal with this man. He ended up costing, and I forget the number, but it was astronomical that the Colts were going to have to pay the Eagles for cap. Um, oh gosh. And I'm, I'm blanking on the word now is cap assurance or cap relief. That's the number cap relief. And it was a lot. It was a lot of money that they're going to have to pay back because they didn't make the playoffs. Because what scenario would lay out in a trade to where 75% of the starts and there was some sort of win percentage tied to it, but that you would not make the playoffs? It's almost unheard of. So, of course, the Colts were like, yeah, we'll take that trade. 
Now they owe the Eagles a bunch of money, including their first round draft pick because Carson Wentz is an asshole. And I just, I can't get it out. T.Y. Hilton apparently liked a tweet by Darius Leonard of the Wolverine meme where he's touching a picture and missing somebody. And the picture that they were missing was Andrew Luck. So it's just like, I mean, whether, who knows, maybe T.Y. Hilton accidentally liked it in a church service, like what's his face for the 49ers. But I just, I can't get enough of it. What our biggest division rival and the most smug has got some serious problems at quarterback and one that they probably cannot solve financially or just straight from personnel. There's also not a lot of great quarterbacks coming up at the draft. There doesn't seem to be an easy out for this. And I'm 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 ecstatic about it. I'm ecstatic about it because that damn team had Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck and got one Super Bowl out of all of that for 20 years. I just, I don't want to hear it out of them. They can suck it. Well, what's funny, I if you haven't gone through and looked at and really just deep dived into Colts Twitter and you don't, you're not looking for Colts Titans, just look at the Colts, you know, beat writers and stuff and look at their replies. This fan base is in shambles. You're talking about <laughs> a team that says right now, fans and even some of the more respected people that cover the team are saying, yeah, this performance this year really has us thinking that we need to extend uh, Quentin Nelson. Quentin fucking Nelson. They're talking about they don't even want to maybe extend him. Not just the fans, but actually Oof. I think it was Zach Kiefer, I believe, said it, which he does um, He does some big writing for the, the, the Colts team. Yeah. And – He's talking like, okay, well, maybe we don't need to really do an extension for Quentin Nelson. Maybe we need to see how 2022 plays out. There's a lot of fans that are saying, you know, you're not going to win with Carson Wentz, but you're not going to win with Frank Wright, and you're not going to win with Chris Ballard. I mean, there are just people. It is the it is right now, it is a unanimously the most negative I've ever seen Colts Twitter. And I've been a part of Titans Twitter, and I think it's the most negative I've seen of, of the NFL team's Twitter based off a team that just came off of a 9-8 and eight season. I mean, they are just – they are done. They are done with this team. They got, they've been spoiled for so many years. They don't know how to handle losing. And I'm glad. I'm here for it. I really hope this team just, just starts tanking so hard. I – I, this is a silly thing to kind of compare, but I'll throw it out there anyway. I like to go to the NFL subreddit, especially for games like this, because the NFL subreddit is probably the largest subreddit on Reddit that's sports related besides soccer. It's huge. It, there is a ton of people in that subreddit. Um, and it gives you a good, accurate, you know, kind of reaction of how NFL fan bases view each other. Now, of course, it's online, it's social, so there's a lot of trolling, there's a lot of, it's echo chamber, so one person gets going on something, you're going to see that reverberated, but I've truly never seen that subreddit so unified against one team since the Titans put the Patriots out of the playoffs, Tom Brady's last game with the Patriots, that's the most like elated I've ever seen the entire NFL against one team, and every single comment was just, I'm t- we're tired of the smugness. We're tired of the smug fan base. They've had it coming for a long time. Post after post, thousands of comments. I reveled in it. I couldn't get enough of it. And honestly, it couldn't happen to a better team. They're just, they're just a bunch of jerks. I'm not sure that this will happen. And I'm not saying it's a huge, you know, a big thing that it will happen or anything. So don't get me wrong. But there is the possibility that they could cut Carson Wentz after this 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 season uh, before the offseason because it will leave behind zero dead cap if they trade him okay but nobody's going to take him but it will only leave behind 15 million in dead cap if they release him okay. and really the Indianapolis Colts have one of the better um salary caps in 2022 because they currently have set their seventh and they have 56.7 million dollars okay now obviously that leaves you a big hole at quarterback right if you cut him this year and if you ride with carson Wentz one more year the colts don't they can cut him free of charge 
2023. But there is a good chance that, you know, they come out of that meeting last night that they're like, okay, we, we, Carson Wentz played really good here and there for stretches, but he's just, you can't get over the hump with him. I don't know what they do to replace him, but it is a possibility. It's kind of lingering out there that they, if they really are eyeing an extension for Quentin Nelson and they want to sign Quentin Nelson, which I would choose Quentin Nelson over Carson Wentz, which they don't have to choose either or, but they could eat $15 million and just wash their hands of it. They have that much cap space to do that. That would be amazing. And Chris Ballard should <laughs> never be allowed to be in the conversation. If that were to happen as best GM in the NFL or even top five. I want to talk quickly about black Monday uh, because it was a doozy today. I, I, there was a couple of firings that were uh, well, one in particular was quite surprising with the dolphins getting rid of Brian Flores and keeping Chris Greer, which I'm going to get back to that in a second. Vikings get rid of Mike Zimmer, keep uh, and GM uh, Rick Spielman. The Bears fired Na- uh, Matt Nagy and their GM Ryan Pace. Uh, the Broncos fired Vic Fangio. That was yesterday. Uh, the Giants uh, GM Dave Gettleman has retired. Uh, Joe Judge has come out and said that he wants a hand and a part in picking the new GM. <laughs> so teams that have openings going into 2022. Broncos, Bears, Jags, Vikings, Dolphins, Raiders, maybe the Texans, and maybe the Giants. Um, someone, uh, Mike was talking about David Culley earlier. Brandon Cooks, when asked about what he thinks of David Culley, if he's going to be retained, he said, quote, you're talking to a guy who's been trading a lot. It's a business. That's not <laughs> exactly this guy did his worked his ass off for us this year. Go ahead and retain him. But I mean, that's eight openings. That's 25% of the league that could be looking for head coaches at lit definitely six, several GM candidates. But what the fuck is going on in Miami? I, I did not expect Brian Flores to get fired. I really did not. And there's several articles that are coming out that it's like that was a straight up power struggle between him and Chris Greer. Chris Greer won and forced him out. Now, a lot of people were speculating that since the owner of the Dolphins is a huge Michigan, I don't know if he's a Michigan alum, but he's a yeah, huge he Michigan is. fan. Okay. S- donated to like $100 million to something in, in the connection with the city of Detroit. Anyways, everyone thought he's going after Harborough. <laughs> and he comes out today and says, I'm not going to be the guy who takes Harbaugh away from Michigan. So did they just fire Brian, Brian Flores in the middle of half or a quarter of the league looking for coaches? It's, it was shocking. That's one of the biggest shockers. It's definitely the only shocker, in my opinion, out of all yeah, of these yeah. that got fired. Um, I am surprised, but then you hear about that he wanted Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson wants to play for Brian Flores, and Stephen <clears throat> Ross and Chris Greer are tied to Tua. They love Tua. They think they, that Tua can do it and lead them to a Super Bowl. I think they're sadly mistaken unless they start drafting better. See, that's the problem with me in this whole situation. What, what Stephen Ross has done all the way back to Tony Sperano was he's either fired a head coach or fired a GM. He's never fired both at the same time. Let me say something. Chris Greer has been there since 2016. He has been in one of the worst drafting GMs, when you look at how many draft picks he's had, he's had a whole bunch of draft picks compared to a lot of other GMs. And listen, I know the Tennessee Titans had a horrible 2020 draft year. Okay, I I get it. But please, go look at Chris Greer and the amount of draft picks that he has had compared to John Robinson. It has been ridiculous the amount of draft picks he's had and the amount of busts and people you're just like, I don't even remember this guy even being a college football player. Right. <laughs> like, like, I can <laughs> give you some names and you'd be like, who? <laughs> this guy is the one being kept around. If you're going to fire your head coach, then that's fine. But you got to fire your GM. I'm, I'm one of those guys. I think John Robinson is the rarity where – you brought him in because he was willing to work with Mike Malarkey. And I think John Robinson did that because he had the foresight to know that Mike Malarkey is probably not going to be around much longer. I think that if you really want a clean break and want someone with some fresh eyes to get in there, that's, that's fine. I disagree. I think if, but that's fine, but fire them both or fire Chris Greer. Because if you, this guy, if your head coach is wanting Deshaun Watson, 
there are a couple of opportunities here where he's going to go to a place that needs a quarterback as well, and he's going to bring Deshaun Watson. Yeah. It's not just about Miami, my friend. It is about the coach, and that's what he basically hammered home with the Texans. If I am the Denver Broncos, I am falling all over myself to make sure that my team signs Brian Flores because they have the cap room to trade for Deshaun Watson, and Deshaun Watson would make an instant difference maker for that team. You should go and get Brian Flores, Brian Flores no matter what, in my opinion. He should be on the top of everybody's list at this point. And if he doesn't have, I'd be actually kind of surprised if he doesn't have a head coaching job because some team's going to get him with in mind that he's going to bring Deshaun Watson to their team. I, um, I don't know how, if you were able to read some of the stuff I posted earlier about the bears and George McCaskey talking to the press, but bears fans. And I'll admit from an outsider looking at, I don't know much about the inner workings of the bears. It's one of those teams that, I hate to say it. They're kind of one of those teams that pops up every few years and I go, oh, that's right. They're in the NFC North because they've just been bad. They've so mediocre for so long. You just kind of forget about them. Um, as I previously said, the Bears fired Matt Nagy and, and Ryan Pace. Owner George McCaskey comes out. He's the chairman of the board that owns the team uh, and is the son of Virginia Hollis. So he has not had a press conference in a year. And apparently the guy's not great with the public, but if you get rid of the GM and you get rid of that coach, someone's going to talk to the media and say what's up. And his press conference was a fucking disaster from the start. Um, apparently at, at some point in the last week, Matt Nagy went to his son's high school football game and the crowd booed him and booed his son. <laughs> so, I mean, not a great scene, right? Maybe show some restraint, but, you know, Chicago fans are pissed. They don't like the guy. They booed him. Apparently, it was quite embarrassing. Um, McCaskey started off the press conference by chiding teenagers, talking about how unbelievably disrespectful it was for Bears fans and students to be to be booing him. And, and then the, the press conference just devolved into him. He kept he went on about this for about 15 to 20 minutes but then got into it with a former player basically saying that people are just making up lies about the team. And I'm trying to find the, who the, what the former player's name is. Give me just a second. Um, long story short, this whole presser basically took four hours of hope for bears fans and turned it into this organization is never going to change. At one point um, McCaskey came out and said, I, I'm not a football operator type guy. I'm just a fan. But yet he's going to have the final say of, you know, the GM he said he was not a football in. evaluator. Yeah, he's not a football evaluator. He's just a fan. It just it, the whole thing was just incredible. And forgive me, I can't find the former player, but a former player was approached to be an O-line coach. They reportedly offered the guy $15 an hour to be an assistant to help correct the offensive line. Um, the guy was like, look, I'm a former bears legend. I think that's kind of insulting. It shows. So how I wonder if it's Olin Cruz. Yeah, that's it. Olin Cruz, um, was offered $15 an hour. He, I know he, way too many random football players. I don't know why I knew that, <clears throat> that that's from playing Madden back in the day. So McCaskey came out today and said that don't believe everything that comes out of his mouth. You, you take it with a grain of salt. The guy basically has a history of lying. I mean, just flat out said it in the press conference and, Dude was, he was live tweeting. Olin was live tweeting. He was like, look, I just confirmed it with the guy who made me the offer. And that's what the offer still stands like that today. $15 an hour. It was pure insanity. The, the bears where I'm going with this whole thing. The reason why I brought it up Titans fans, you need to be so fucking thankful that you have the owner that you have. There are so many owners and, and that are out there that don't want to change. They have a team that's a cash cow and they're going to try to run this operation the way they want. There's too many to list. But we just talked about the Dolphins. I just got done going off on a weird rant about the Bears. There is a lot of NFL ownership out there that is pure shit. Yeah, I, I am very happy to be not having to go through any of this. And the yeah. Titans haven't had to go through any of this in a long, long time. And <clears throat> man, we're just we we have it so easy that I, I sometimes get annoyed by how annoyed I am by other Titans fans' tweets. 
we we really have it easy and i i wish that the the everybody could recognize that this team is good it's in a good place and it's in a good place not only just from the results on the field but from the personnel from all the way from amy adam strunk all the way down to I don't know. I guess Dylan Radens is the lowest uh, man on the totem pole sometimes, but you know, just all the way down. Running the ice cream machine over in the, yeah. uh, in the concession stands. Uh, we've held you hostage for an hour and four minutes and I didn't even get to everything I wanted to touch, but it was such a crazy day in the NFL. Um, playoffs are set and your Tennessee Titans do not have to play in the first round, which is beautiful. You get to kick back, relax, enjoy the playoffs and watch who are going to play the Titans uh, thank you all for, for tuning in as always football and other F words, please share, like rate review, subscribe, leave comments for us. Um, but tell people that you listen to us and share our podcast. We appreciate you tuning in every week. Next time you talk to us, we'll be talking about who the Titans opponent is going to be, uh, for Michael, who's already hung up Zach lines and myself, Michael Gillum, you just been effed. A Broadway Sports Media Production.